Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. We're a few weeks now into our Greater Than series in Colossians. We're talking about how the book of Colossians presents Jesus as greater than any alternative. That it presents a Jesus period kind of uh, mindset. Not a Jesus and this and this and this and this. Just like the baptism stories in Godel, in this village in Senegal, they would say, my life is in Jesus, period. I'm not going to look to witch doctors, and I'm not going to look to other kinds of healings and other religions. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. And what Jesus offers, Paul writes over and over again in Colossians, is greater than anything that we could come up with. He's greater than any other religion. He's greater than any other philosophy. He's greater than any identity that I could cook up for myself. What He offers me, who He is in Himself, and what He offers me is greater than any alternative. That is the book of Colossians summed up. And that's what we get to like dive deep into every week as we walk through. And I'm, I'm really, I was studying even, even last night, uh, kind of finishing this up, and just, again, being amazed, amazed at who God is and how He reveals Himself, even in this little book. It hasn't always been like that for me. Um, during my freshman year of college, uh, I, I went to school to be a youth pastor. So I thought I was supposed to be pretty mature, right? I'm like spiritually grounded and grown up, but I'm still a freshman in college, so you know how that goes. Um, Somebody recommended that I read through the book of Ephesians. They were doing it back home. They were going to do a study, and they thought, if you read it, then we could stay connected. And I was so mature that I opened up the Bible and read through Ecclesiastes. And she was like, what do you think of that? I was like, that's a bummer of a book. I don't know that we read the same thing. Um, and after, after embarrassingly identifying that I had missed the book, I turned to Ephesians, and I started reading it, and she's like, just read chapter 1 to start. And I read through it, and she's like, what do you think? I was like, ah, I'm kind of bored. I want God to tell me what to do. I'm looking for direction. I'm looking for, this is how you follow Christ. And the whole first chapter is all just about Jesus. <laughs> oh, good, good freshman. Sometimes I think we get stuck in that kind of mentality. Sometimes I think we read the Bible and we want to say, God, the Bible is the guidebook for me to how to live. God, would, I want to read this and I want you to give me direction and then I want to follow you and I want to be good. I want to show you how good I follow you. And sometimes the Bible doesn't do that because this is what I'm still learning. The Bible is not all about me. The Bible's not all about you. Who is the main character of the Bible? God, right? And we get wrapped up in our thinking. We wouldn't admit this, but subconsciously, we read the Bible and we think the main character is me. It's all about me. And sometimes it has nothing to do with me. In the beginning, God. That's how it starts. And then it continues from there. We need to be able to stop 
at times and recognize maybe all God wants for me right now is to see him. Maybe all God wants for me is to be in awe of him. He's not going to give me direction. He's not going to tell me what to do. He's not going to help me solve a, a crisis in my life. He just wants me to see him. And that's good enough. When I started to see that, when I started to see that, things changed in my life. So Colossians starts in a fairly similar way to Ephesians. That it starts with Jesus is a novel idea. And I love the last couple weeks we've been looking at this section, this song or poem, this prayer in Colossians 1 in Colossians 1, 15 through 23, and I've kind of like chunked away at a couple verses each week. And so we're going to read that whole passage this morning, and then we're just going to look at the last three verses and close up this mini-series in Colossians today in this first uh, chapter. And uh, I'd like us, if we could, if we could stand as a way of saying these words that we're going to read right now are the most important words that we are going to read all morning. Uh, these are from God Himself. And if we walk away with nothing else this morning, I want to soak in these. So this is Colossians 1, 15 through 23. This says, He, Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister." You can have a seat. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We love you. And Jesus, we want to recognize you as greater than. We want to submit ourselves to you in a Jesus period kind of way. Would you clear from us distractions so that we can hear from you? Spirit, we want you to have freedom in this space this morning that you would convict us, that you would shine light in our lives, that you would open us up more to you. Help us to give ourselves more to you. Show us what you want us to see. Let us hear what you want us to hear. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this passage, verses 15 through 23, is this wonderful, beautiful, sweeping prayer that Paul isn't intending just to be studied. Paul is intending it to be read to the church as part of worship. That uh, study, if it doesn't lead to worship, is sick. 
study, if it doesn't lead us to worship God, has something fatally wrong with it. That we become Pharisees if we know all about God, but it doesn't penetrate us and humble us. Like Micah 6.8 says, that I would walk humbly with my God. We want to see God and know God and then worship God and live in that. And this passage, this passage sets before us Jesus. Jesus, who is the very image of God. God himself, if you want to see God, you look at Jesus. And it presents Jesus as the creator, that in him and through him and for him and by him, all things were created. That Jesus is dancing in Genesis 1. That the word is spoken and everything comes into existence. And Jesus, the word, is there and busy and active. Paul talks about him being the creator and being the sustainer, that he doesn't just create and then pull back. He creates and then he keeps his hand on it. That child's song, he's got the whole world in his songs, has deep theological meaning, that Jesus is still holding us together. And then Paul moves on to say he's the creator, he's the sustainer, and he's the reconciler. Jesus is the head of the church, and the head has this connection to authority and connection to life, as if if we cut ourselves off from the head, we die. We don't want to be separated from our head. So we follow Jesus, who is above us and before us and superior to us, and he himself is our life. And when we see him, our response is awe, is worship. Colossians begins with gratitude and worship, He says, God is moving. The gospel is bearing fruit. We have people in our lives. You have people in your lives like Epaphras who laid the foundation of faith for you, who told you about God, taught you about Jesus, the creator, the sustainer, the reconciler. And now, now that we have the grand picture, that it is not all about me. This is a story about God. And this is a story about Jesus who is the very image of God. And this is a story about Jesus who created and Jesus who sustains and Jesus who reconciles and you. And Paul gets to and you. He says the high and lofty theology and worship that we've just talked about comes low and gets personal. This isn't just God Almighty. This is God incarnate. God come near. That he is both at the same time. And you. What about you? Paul says you. He doesn't mean you and you and you and you. He means y'all. Okay, Paul's Southern. He means you all, the church, the church at Colossae, you, which is made up of individuals. They have a personal role to play, but we over-individualize things all the time. We make it about me and my relationship with Christ, and Paul doesn't actually talk about my relationship. It's by implication in there, but Paul talks about us. You all were once alienated. You received reconciliation. So I love this. 
one commentator pointed out, um, verse 21 points out, it identifies the people who receive this reconciliation. Verse 22 tells us the purpose of the reconciliation. And verse 23 introduces a, contin- uh, a condition that may make us uncomfortable. The condition for the continuing realization of this reconciliation. So verse 21, in you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. Suddenly the tone, the tone changes. He has started with the grand story and this whole paragraph up until now has been third person. It's been about God. And now it shifts to a second person. You. Once you, he has reconciled you. If you. This collective you, this church, is made up of individuals, but it exists in the community. Because they've responded to the gospel that Epaphras first shared with them, they've changed from being God's enemies into being his friends. This alienated, um, alienated in the Bible has both horizontal and vertical um, ideas to it. That to be alienated is to be separated from. To be alienated is to not belong, is to not have a home. And often when the Bible talks about being alienated, it's in our midst. Like they're here, they're alone in our midst, that they're not welcome in community. And over and over and over, God says, I want you to welcome the alien. I want you to pull people in. Here, Paul is specifically talking about our vertical orientation, that we were alienated from God, that we did not belong belong with God, that we weren't his, in his family. And he says, hostile indeed, doing, or hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. That is, the way that they thought about God and the behavior that followed did not have God on the throne for them. And we all start that way. Since the garden, when Adam and Eve reached for the fruit that God said, don't don't do that, not because I'm holding out on you, but because I want you to always follow me, the source of your life. Since they reached out and said, nah, we're going to do our own thing, we have been doing that for all of history. It's passed down to us, and we make it our own. God, I, I would rather go my own way. And we separate ourselves from him. And we're, we're actually hostile in mind. I will not submit to you. And that works its way out in our mind, and it works our way out in our behavior. Their posture was separated from God. But now, Paul says, you who were once alienated, you who were once hostile in mind and pushing yourselves away for God, now he has reconciled you. Now he has brought you back by, in his body of flesh, by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If you're really into grammar, if you're really into grammar and you're really into ancient Greek, what you can see is that uh, these three verses are one sentence. Paul is the best at run-on sentences. They just keep going and going and going. But if you're really into grammar, what you can see is the main verb in all of these three verses is right here in verse 22. 
he has reconciled. You were once alienated. You who were once alienated, he has now reconciled. Once, once, now. And there's a shift from alienation to reconciliation, from uh, loneliness to belonging. It's not only about forgiving sins. It's not only about removing guilt. The gospel is about moving from being alienated to being reconciled, to being alone, to having a place with God where you belong. And that's one reason why I think we have to do such a good job of this horizontal reconciliation where there are broken relationships. God is not satisfied to just say, just, you know, say it's no big deal and walk away. He doesn't just remove our sins. He calls us His. He calls us back into relationship. And for us to have conflict with each other and then say, you know what, I've got no time for I, I'm good, I'm good, but, but we're never going to be this again, is a violation of the gospel. Because God could have done that. He could have said, I'll forgive your sins, but I'll make another place for you, not with me. And I don't want any part of that. I want reconciliation. I want us to be together in the way that God invites us back to him, to be with him. We have to do a good job. And if we don't, people notice. People notice when Christians don't do reconciliation well, right? People notice when Christians bite. It is not, it is not a good way for people to see the gospel. They, the Colossians, are reconciled. But it wasn't free. Paul says, you were reconciled in his body. You were reconciled by his death. That is, he gave everything. He didn't just say, come on back when you decide to come back. There was a price to be paid. The violence and the humiliation that Jesus endured paved the way for their holiness. Paved the way for them to be blameless. For them to be above reproach. He saved them so that he could present them. Jesus sacrificed everything so that we could be presented before God as holy and blameless and above reproach. Above reproach means you can't even bring an accusation. What Jesus did secured for us a status that now in Christ the Colossians are experiencing. At the time of this letter, Paul says, you stand before God holy and blameless and without nobody can even bring an accusation against you because you are in Christ. And if we're in Christ today, that assurance is for us that he changes our status before him. There's a very similar passage in Ephesians. In Ephesians 5, it says, Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Why did he do it? To reconcile. To make friends of his enemies. To bring the church to God. They didn't reconcile themselves. We don't get to reconcile ourselves Jesus is 
the reconciler. And then there's this word that Paul uh, goes into in verse 23 that can make us uncomfortable. He says, He did it so that you could be presented as holy and blameless and above reproach if. I don't like that. That messes with my theology. That messes with my understanding of God who uh, transferred statuses with me, that I have assurance in Christ and that He will never let me go. And Paul says, if. I'm like, no, quit that, Paul. What are you talking about? If you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. If. You will be presented as holy and blameless if. Paul says, it sure seems like Paul says, There are conditions to this thing. He says, if you continue in the faith. And that would seem to mean that those who do not continue in the faith will not stand. Will not stand holy and blameless and above reproach. What does this do for my assurance? What does this do with the idea that Jesus has already reconciled them? already made them holy. And for me, Hebrews 10, 14, and Justin and I have gone back and forth uh, kind of soaking in this verse, in this idea. Hebrews 10, 14 says, by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. By a single offering, he has perfected those who are being made holy. For Paul, the idea of The idea of being saved and not following Jesus doesn't make any sense. Does not make any sense. We have been, we have, our status has changed and we continue to walk it out. Our standing before God has changed and we walk it out. I had friends in high school who I thought had a relationship with Jesus. We went to Colorado together, we sang worship songs together. He said that he knew Jesus, and then later on in high school, he like split. And I didn't know what to do with that. And I was just talking with a pastor one time who said, if somebody somebody says they're in Christ and then a while later walks away completely, I'm not sure they ever were. We have a really good way of thinking we're good but not really having it be a reality or thinking that we're doing all the right things and then it's not it's not actually true there's a picture of this i'm trying to think of an old testament example there's a picture of this as Uh, the Hebrew nation is being escorted out of Egypt by God. And he gives them uh, the cloud by day and the fire by night, right? And the cloud is a covering, shade and protection. And the fire is warmth on cold nights and keep the beasts away. What do they have to do to receive the protection and the covering of God? They have to follow. They have to walk. Is God presenting conditions? 
Well, it depends on how you look at it. Is he giving everything that is required to provide them safety and covering? Yes, absolutely. Can they have any share in bragging about, look at this cloud. This cloud is my deal. No. But if they choose to step out from under the cloud, they're going to get sunburned. If they choose not to camp by the fire, watch out for what comes. You remove yourself from the protection of God. You remove yourself from the relationship. It makes no sense to call yourself a Christian and not follow Jesus. It just makes no sense. Now, I don't believe you can lose your salvation if it's true. But I think there are people who seem to be walking it out who then are not at all. And I think either it's just taking a nap for a little while and it's going to come awake again. People go through phases. Or they're kidding themselves. Maybe they've even been deceived themselves. The, the Hebrew nation literally could not obtain protection without following God. Scott McKnight, who uh, is a high academic theologian, he writes New Testament commentaries, writes this uh, really lofty statement. He says, followers of Jesus, follow Jesus. I love the simplicity of that. Followers of Jesus follow Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus and you're not following, it's time for a heart check. It's time, it's time that you got kicked in the gut. Say, what is going on? As this passage comes to a close, Paul comes back to the gospel that he talked about earlier in the letter. He said it's uh, bearing fruit all over the world. It's as if he started in this high place, elevating God and exalting Jesus, and he dipped low to look at the reconciled Jesus, one, or the reconciled church once you were alienated, but now he reconciled you. And now he's going back up. He's ascending again back into worship to view God and to the one that Paul has given his life to. So, application for us for today, real quick. Uh, point zero. For starters, I think uh, we need to think more in we, not in I. We need to think about how Damascus Road Church will be a church who. We will be a church who is reminded of the story. Who always holds high Jesus, the very image of God, who was present at creation, who by him and through him and for him all things came into being, that we will keep our eyes set on the high story and that we will always fix our eyes on Jesus. At Damascus Road, we will pay attention to the grand story and we will fix our eyes continually upon Jesus. That we will be a church who lives our faith. Paul talks about the Colossian church uh, being established and steadfast and not moving from hope. And that's who I want us to be. He would prescribe that to the, the church at Colossae, and I want 
I want that all over us here. That Damascus Road Church will be a church we will live out our faith. We will have nothing to do with saying Jesus is Lord and then walking in a different direction. That our, our declaration and our obedience will walk hand in hand. Our belief and our action will live married. That we will walk out our faith. And it says established. That is laid on a foundation. It's a building term. That we have a foundation in Christ. And we ask the question, who laid my foundation? Who laid our foundations? And we thank them. If you have people in your life who laid your foundation of faith, it is so good to thank them. It is so good to tell them, I was thinking today about who I am. And you have a role in that. I would not be who I am today if not for you. The few times that people have said things like that to me, it has breathed life into me. It's a gift that you can give, but it's also good for us to be reminded about who has poured into us, who laid our foundations. And not just what they did, but have you made it your own? Have you said, this is what they did, and this is now mine. I am taking hold of it. I'm going to build my life on Jesus. Paul says steadfast. The ESV says steadfast. Other translations say, uh, say firm. That is to say, if you continue in the faith, standing firm, always standing. You're on a foundation and now you continue to grow in it. You continue to stand in it. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, stand firm, let nothing move you. Do not cave to the pressures around you. We will be a church that will not cave. We will be a church that stands firm and Paul says not moved from the hope. That we will be a church on a foundation, standing firm, uh, looking at hope, expecting, expecting God to continue moving. We will not lose hope and we won't settle for any false hope that the world offers. I think of Senegal and the baptisms and people coming into a community where they are depending upon Jesus together. May we continually be in awe of the grand story. May we continually fix our eyes on the author and the main character, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. May we, Damascus Road Church, live out our faith together, established on the foundation of Jesus standing firm in Jesus alone and never losing our grip on the hope that he's given us. May that be true for us. Let's pray. Jesus, would you make that true? Would you continue, would you continue to put us in a position of awe as we look at you. As we respond to you, as we see how high and magnificent you are and yet how low you come, that you would dip down to us, that you would bring reconciliation to us, that you, God of heaven, care about us. May we find our reconciliation in you and may we walk in it, may we live in it, may we run after it. May we allow our lives to catch up 
with what you've already done in our hearts. Make this true for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.